everybody. Welcome to the New World Pictures Podcast. Bonus episode. We got a special bonus episode lined up for you. My name is Ryan. With me, as always, is Mark. Bonus episode. And Erica. Bonus episode. And joining us for this episode, we were so pleased to get Patrick Leberteau from Heathers, from New World Pictures' Heathers, uh, and so many other things. Um, He's had an incredible career that started as a child actor. I'm so glad. He's a great guy to follow on Twitter. If you're not following him, you should. He's very funny. He's a very funny guy, as you'll hear in this episode. Um, A really, really great guy. Very funny. And just has a stellar career, starting with Little House on the Prairie, Starting with um, Blazing Saddles, even though you Blazing Saddles. I'm sorry, yes, Blazing Saddles, which we talk about him in Blazing Saddles. He he was cut out, but we talk about that. Um, into Little House on the Prairie, uh, Summer School, just a favorite uh, for, of this podcast. We love Summer School, and I think I, I don't think we're alone on that. I think that's a very revered movie, um, and a lot of the other steps into getting into Heather's and. Uh, more stuff from his career. It's been an incredible ride. He even talks, we talk a little bit about Jag as well, which is a series he was on for a long time. And just an incredible uh, guy to talk to. So funny. We talk about uh, uh, how he discovered Brad Pitt. Yep, he discovered Brad Pitt. <laughs> he gives, he gives Mark Harmon NCIS. Like he just yeah. gave that to him as on a gift. On a silver platter. Uh, yeah, served mm-hmm. it up to him. Mm-hmm. Like, like yeah. a Thanksgiving roast, you know, <laughs> for the places that, Celebrate Thanksgiving, but skip a turkey. You know, I hope, like Patrick, gets a, I hope Patrick gets a thank you card every year from Mark Harmon. Uh, he, he better. He better. And he's probably saying, "Hey, Patrick, where's my shirt? You were supposed to get back my shirt." <laughs> You'll understand. In You'll, a You'll listen. Get it. Listen to the episode. You're gonna You'll understand. Okay. And one so, thing that I want to point out: uh, there was a little bit of a connection issue, um, right? I, I blame Spectrum Internet, mm-hmm. uh, but we had a yeah, little bit... Yeah, an internet connection issue, not like a personality friend connection no, issue. No, because... no, no, I think we all connected yeah. a lot. I yeah. think yeah. we all definitely yeah. connected. For yeah. Sure. Oh, I, yeah, absolutely. We're all Sparks are be... flying. Yep, for sure. <laughs> well, I mean, we'll talk about it more when we all get together at Olive Garden next week, but... There was an internet An ironic issue. choice, everyone. It's an <laughs> ironic choice because that's how much fun we were having. <laughs> and I do love a good value Italian meal. Um, <laughs> and he loves bottomless breadsticks. Yeah, those so. breadsticks. Yeah. Oh my God. I love anything bottomless. And, <laughs> um, but I do want to point this out because it, there are a couple points that we couldn't really edit out uh, where the, the, the connection gets a little bit choppy. We, but... I still think it's a great episode. Yeah, but bear, don't worry about that. It's not gonna, it's not gonna stop you from enjoying the living shit out of our talk with Patrick Leberto. And so here it is right now. Uh, Patrick, um, so Patrick, you're from Los Angeles uh, originally. Was you always were you always like planning on being an actor? Was that like always like the dream, like growing up in LA? Kid? Well. The the reality is, is that I started at three years old. So obviously I went to my parents and sat them down and said, listen, I want to be an actor. (laughs) Uh, Right, right. I, Uh you know, Uh I really, I really don't think that as far as the universe goes that I ever had a choice. And here's why I'm adopted. And Mm. my biological parents both were 
actors who came out to Hollywood and my mom got pregnant and her family came out to Hollywood to rescue her from such a life. Uh, they put the baby up for adoption. I was then adopted by an actress who, when she announced my, you know, adoption or birth or however it was, it was through a little, you know, little birth announcement that said, we're working on a new little production. And <laughs> so from cute. a very, from literally from you know, the zygote on, I was supposed <laughs> to be part of, part of this business. Thankfully, uh, once I realized and had some agency, I kind of, I do enjoy it. Uh, you know, it is my life. So you, I, you, absolutely. You, you've finally started to enjoy it. That's so good. <laughs> right, at, the age exactly. of, at, at the age of three, like which what which, which uh, Shakespeare play were you in at that point? Well, me and Gilgood would go and get drunk, first of all, before <laughs> any performance. To. Just to set the stage. Yeah, you know, a bottle of ready. sour milk and I was out for my nap and he was on stage. <laughs> <laughs> um. Uh, now, one of your earliest jobs is actually a job you got cut from. So you really got a good taste of the business because you were emblazing saddles right off the bat. That's good research. Absolutely. I, <laughs> I, I still would die to see, you know, Mel, uh, Mel Brooks is still alive. God bless him. And, you know, at some point, I just wish they would get him to do like a commentary for the movie again and release mm -hmm. all of the, the stuff that they cut out. Because obviously I'm not the only one they cut out. Okay. And it's such a great movie. Oh, that yeah. I know they had such, you know, Richard Pryor wrote the script and just, I mean, they, along with everybody else involved, it was an amazing, you know, it was an amazing experience for me at that age because we shot it on the back lot of uh, Warner Brothers and, and uh, on, on the old Western Street. Mm -hmm. oh, cool. And they did those Western Streets great, where once you were in the Western Street, of course, they designed them so that when you turn 360, you can't see anything. You don't know you're in the middle of a city, let alone a studio. And I think maybe I was eight years old and I was just having the time of my life just playing, playing Western Street. And Mel, uh, Mel Brooks was hysterical because every time I'd finish a scene, he'd run up and down the, the you know, the dirt street yelling, this kid's going to be a star. <laughs> which is a great pit because wow. you know it's a little kid and you know and he's he's a funny man so i i didn't get the joke then you know i thought wow i must have done good uh but you know it was just it was a fantastic you know experience at the time i think all you guys are way too young uh there there was Thank a show you. called temperatures <laughs> <Bless> rising <you. laughs> uh cleavon little was in a show called temperatures rising i think on abc and he was starring in Blazing Saddles. And of right. course, before he was starring in Blazing Saddles, we were, we were shooting it. Um, and I was fascinated because I watched Temperatures Rising and there's this huge star that I'm doing these scenes with. So it was, it was really a blast. What was the role exactly that you were playing? Do you remember? Yeah, I remember everything about it, man. I, it was, uh, we had three scenes, basically. I played Johnny Johnson because everyone's named Johnson in Rockridge. Mm -hmm. And the first scene is when they come to town, uh, one, of the, one of the guys roughs me up. I'm playing with a snake, mainly because I, I brought my, my brother's pet snake to the audition. It was my mom's idea. She thought Mel, <laughs> Mel Brooks would find it funny, which right. he did. Yeah. Um, and so they wrote it in where I'm playing with my pet snake and the guy comes up and he ties it in a knot and hands it back to me. And I go, what have they done to you, pal? 
not the funniest thing, but the next two scenes I really <laughs> love. One of them, you're, wait, wait, one you're of them was in that. The, yeah, come on. <laughs> the second scene was in the church, and you know, if we're watching the movie, I can show you where the cut in and cut out part is. It's when they're trying to find ah. a new sheriff, and oh, they go, "Well, okay, we're yeah. going to need somebody." And I raise my hand and I say, "Hey, I'll be sheriff." And everyone's like, well, hey, look at him. He's big for his age. He's brave. Let, <laughs> let the boy be sheriff. And they start voting me as sheriff. Wow. And my mom says, you can't vote him sheriff. He's eight years old. And then they cut back and then it, it goes back to the preacher who goes, well, we're going to need somebody. Oh, um, wow. And then the final scene was when uh, the, the sheriff has taken his, when Bart's taken his first walk down the street. And, you know, it's like up yours N word and mm -hmm. like everyone's treating him so horrible. Um, he finds a bunch of kids beating me up and he stops and he pulls them away and he goes, now what's going on here? And I go, oh, we're just playing. And he goes, what kind of game are you playing? And I say, we're playing Welcome the New Sheriff. And so that was the big... <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> so I think uh, at least, at least two yeah. quality scenes that yeah. I think yeah. really played well. Yeah. And, uh, and, and again, like I said, you know, it's, it's just, I remember every day because it was so much fun and it was just, and everybody on the shoot was really nice and it was wonderful. Did you find out in advance you were cut or did you have to go see it and then find out you weren't in it? Did you have that kind of situation? Many yeah, actors never, find themselves in that situation where they don't know like, until here they comes, see it. Here it comes, here it comes. Right, oh, oh. <laughs> the, the First of all, I was too young to watch the movie. Okay. Um, it was <laughs> okay. it was you know a, a, a racy movie back yeah, then. They couldn't sure. believe the language and everything. Mm -hmm. um, and so it was. I was told, you know, my mother basically took my career on as her own, and as mothers do or momagers do. And she was incensed that they were cut out, that they cut us out. And she mm -hmm. would say that mm -hmm. they cut us out. Mm -hmm. It's like, mom, you weren't in the movie. <laughs> um, yeah. They cut my mom and me out of the movie, damn it. Like, I came up with that snake bit. Damn it. That's exactly. Yeah, uh, yeah it's yeah. exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. So were you like disappointed? Was that like, because I mean, I remember when I did like a tiny little comedy video and I had one line and I got cut and I was like, damn it. <laughs> you know well, like well i can imagine at that age just being like oh man like was that disappointing well or did it, it was but it was different in that there was it's hard to really kind of remember how it was like back then if if you didn't go to the movies to see blazing saddles it wasn't like you knew you were going to hit it up in three months on on video and everyone was right, going to see right, it it right. just sort of went away and because I, I wasn't old enough to see it, it just kind of went away. And in okay. the same year, I did in the same summer, I think, I did Blazing Saddles in Maine, both mm -hmm. at Warner Brothers, and the other one was with uh, Lucille Ball. Mm -hmm. And in that one, every word I said was in the movie. And I could see that movie. And I did go to the premiere and all that type oh, okay. of thing. So okay. one oh, kind nice. of faded away. And, you know, obviously, in retrospect, the one that faded away became the huge cultural touchstone and the one that remained for me was you know a, a footnote in, in an otherwise great career sure not sure. mine not right, right. <laughs> <laughs> no yeah but it, but, all, but also a footnote in, in that you then go on to little house in the prairie right um both you and your right. brother yeah uh, was that exciting yeah, that, to that, sort of like get that like with your brother as well was that kind of exciting to to, to be together on that it was exciting in a lot of different ways. The exciting of being on it with him, there was a moment where it wasn't so exciting. 
I'll, I'll, I'll break it down as far as the timeline goes. So my brother, who is an awesome actor by the name of Matthew Laberto, and he had been, he, if I could distinguish us, I would say that he's very funny. So I really can't say it, but basically I'm pretty good with comedy. He's really good with drama. And so as a young kid, he was doing all these amazing dramatic roles. And he did this thing back in the day when they had after school specials called mm -hmm. Papa and me, which is about this, uh, this, you know, uh, this grandpa and his grandson in New York, and he played the little grandson. And it was such a touching performance that it caught the eye of Michael Landon. And Michael had Matthew come on and play Charles Ingalls as a young boy in a, in a flashback. And he did two episodes, I think, in the third season. Then they replaced um, uh, one of the families and they added the Garveys to Little House. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> I still don't have a real story on this. I believe there was another young actor who was playing my role of Andy Garvey. Um, they had just done, I think, one other episode, and it was like where the Garveys go to church, and you really didn't interact with them. They were just there. Because uh, I get a call, or I picked up from school by my mom, and she goes, we're going to Paramount. You got a call for a Little House on the Prairie. And I'm like, oh, cool. And this would be, wasn't surprising. We would be picked up from school and we'd go straight to our auditions and so but sometimes we didn't know they were coming and little house was one of them so i went to paramount i auditioned Sutton, who later became Susie mccray um and she had me and a number of other kids then drive out to see me valley to read for michael and so we read for michael then at that moment michael had onto me onto my shoulder he says you stay here he sent the other kids home and he goes congratulations you got the part i'm like oh cool and I started work the next day. So it was, wow. I was watching Little House on a Wednesday. I auditioned Thursday afternoon and I'm working Friday morning with Melissa Gilbert wow. in wow. Little House barn at, you know, all of these things. Like I, I was just, it was, I was, it was mind blowing. Wow. wow. Of course he knew my family and I, you know, looking back on it now. Yeah. I'm an actor, but I think, you know, there's plenty enough good actors where I think Michael had things going on in his head, you know, because he was so smart that, you know, I like this family. I'm going to use this kid and his brother next, the year after. Little House on the Prairie being such a great comedic series, it was perfect to cast you in that role because, I mean, <laughs> exactly. That, <laughs> it's one of the funniest mom, shows When your I mom remember. gets burned down in a blind school, you want some yucks and I'm <laughs> going to bring them to you. <laughs> you were there to deliver. It really, yeah, that's, that's, that's amazing. Now, Give me and that I, kid they cut out of Blazing Saddles. <laughs> He's got some good comedy chops. <laughs> uh, yeah, my my wife will. Uh, uh, she has watched all the Little House on the Prairie episodes uh, forwards and backwards and forwards again. So uh, um, she is upstairs. I'm quite jealous that I'm having this conversation right now <laughs> for that alone. <laughs> So you, so, oh, yeah, so the, you were on, so you were on Little House on the Prairie from what seventy seven to eighty one ish. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, and it was uh, fantastic. And and the the only the only you know like bump along the way was, you know, looking back on it, we know the story. But at the time, you know, they came to me and they said, "What do you think about your brother coming on the show as well?" And it was like. Ugh. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Same you know, reaction with these two. Yeah. We're like, hey, let's oh, do yeah. a podcast yeah. with one another. They're like, Ugh. right. 
yeah. yeah you want you want your own shiny new thing and you know <laughs> obviously it was exciting and but then again you know we had a great time and my favorite episode is the one that my brother and i did where we got to run around the forest and and oh, and you know play yeah. with paws so yeah it's awesome yeah so so there was there any rivalry between you and your brother at that time since you're both are child actors at the time that was about it because we we don't look bless you because we don't look alike we don't really read against each other mm-hmm. um and so that probably helped a lot um and again you know maybe i'm maybe it was a self-preservation thing that i kept going towards comedy knowing that my brother was such a good dramatic actor there's an episode of little house called the high cost of being right where they get um my parents are getting divorced and I knew that I had to cry because, you know, it's like I'm in church and they're there and I got to cry. And I tried to figure out how I could cry. And it was I found out that you, if you yawn, your eyes water a little bit or if I yawn, you know, so mm-hmm. if I yawn and, you know, I get some tears, I could maybe make it sound like and it looked like I was having a palsy attack and it just was the <laughs> worst acting and so I said then and there I go okay you know I'm not the crier my brother's a great crier I'll let you know I'll let that go um, and, you know, and since then I've I've learned I've learned how to act since then so you know hopefully. <laughs> um so what was your favorite comedy bit that they they cut out a little house on the prairie do you <laughs> did you have one that, <laughs> no you know the funny the, didn't we just cover it there, no, so. there, there was no yeah basically that's it pretty much that's the funniest i was ever on the show was, was that crying bit um, it was, like, i was always happy moment, with patrick but i don't know if <laughs> thank that's, you that's thank very you. funny very funny but um we're gonna go in another direction so that um so from there though it, you take a little break like you did a a couple episodes of love boat but did you like kind of go back to school and kind of not you know kind of take some time to go to school before continuing your career after a little house or um no no pretty much every break in my imdb is just me not getting jobs it's a okay never okay a plan there's never a plan break the only plan break on acting was in I guess around 2011, my wife and I created a TV show where we were writing and producing, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I wasn't right. acting then. And that was right. okay. That was, um, and then uh, it also was after Little House and then Heather's, which is kind of the big break. There was another movie called Terminal Entry, but it was like moving from that tween age to a teenager. Right. Right. And then it was that teenage years when all the school movies and stuff like that, when I was able to do those, but it was basically, um, you know, ripening on the vine until I was able to get other jobs. Right. But in that period, um, or maybe really at the end of uh, little house, somewhere along the line, you got to see, you got to visit the galaxy of terror set. Um, oh yeah. 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 Right around, I guess it was like right, right before, for sure, before Heather's, um, there was this paparazzi guy that did the photographs for 16 magazine. And one of his jobs was to go and do, you know, photo essays for, you know, like Starlog and Fangoria and Sinfex and all these great magazines that just don't exist anymore. Um, And so he said, hey, I'm going out to New World. Do you want to come? I said, yeah. And so we went out there and he was doing a, a, an article on the upcoming Galaxy of Terror. And 
we went out there and I don't remember the name of it. You guys probably already know it, the lumber yard where he had yeah, bought right. this lum yum sure. lumber yard. Mm -hmm. And as I understood it, he always kept it looking like a lumber yard. So no one knew they were doing. Mm -hmm. I think also the city didn't allow him to change the facade. It had to stay looking like a lumber yard. Um, but I could be wrong with that. Oh, wow. No, yeah, I, I only know it from, I think, from Starlog. I mean, it was one of those things where we went down there and, but, you know, we, I got to have dinner with him. No, that you didn't get, oh. to, yeah, we didn't, yeah, 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 we didn't, we didn't hear any of this. It was basically, we, you know, my mom, my mom got a little tipsy and because I told her he's king of the bees is like a, as like a shortcut to like who the guy was mm -hmm. sure. for the rest of the night. It was, she referred to him as Mr. King of the bees. And I just, I shrunk. I was like so embarrassed because it was like it's Roger Corman. It's it's there's King of the Bees and then there's Roger Corman. I mean, it's like yeah. he's it's Roger Corman. I mean, I remember one of the best movies I ever saw when my dad took me to well, not only uh, Death Race two thousand, but Gumball Rally and mm -hmm. all the movies that mm -hmm. they made were just you know amazing. And I was so excited, and I was gonna like you know I was a young quote unquote. I wanted to be a filmmaker then. You know, I was going to make young, you know, I wanted to make movies and write scripts, which I have now, but like at the time it was a little bit different. It was like, you know, you'd, you'd go to new world, you'd get, you know, you'd work on movies and you'd become a director and it was a total possibility. It was a real life way to do it. And it was kind of ruined that night by my alcoholic mom. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> so, so you were, you were aware then at that time of, the fact that new world pictures was a place for like young filmmakers to break in. Uh, oh, dude, I, I knew about dementia 13. I knew about uh, big bad mama. I knew I, I all, all the stories about how you break in and how, like how grand theft auto possible. maybe. And yeah, you know, like exactly. Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. for, for me, you know, specifically grand theft auto was a huge thing. I wasn't Ron Howard by any means or Ronnie Howard. But, you know, it was definitely a possibility. And, and so anyways, it was a thrill to meet him. And, and then when my friend said, you know, we're going down there, I'm going to be doing like all of these photos for this movie. I went down there and it was really cool. They had the art. I think I told you this story, but they had the art director take us around and he was showing us how he had used all of this trash from McDonald's to make a lot right. of these um, sets. Uh-huh. Like the burger, the burger wrappers, basically that he would the styrofoam, right. styrofoam, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. like the clamshells <laughs> that they yeah. have for the for the yeah. We take he, they go and they raid like trash bins and grab all the extra <laughs> extra ones, and then they just like glued hot glued them onto the set. From what I understand, exactly right. And then they would spray paint it, and then it looks like you know it looks like the hallway scene from the opening of uh, you know the, the Tana V four on Star Wars. It looks just like that, right? Um, and they, so they did that. And what was so fun about it was the hallways that you see in the movie are obviously, you know, what we just said, they've got all of that stuff on it, but they were also the hallways of the, the, the business building. It was like, they didn't, it wasn't a set. They didn't build hallways. They used the hallways they had. And oh, wow. so <clears throat> everything was so small and so, you know, filled with the smell of spray paint and just, you know, people working and it's really exciting. And the guy who was taking us around was really cool. He knew all about the stuff and was very involved in the movie. And I took pictures next to the big monster that they had, which was, you know, a big puppet that they had made the head of and, you know, pictures with him and, and like all of these different things. And he was showing me these spacesuits that they were working on. Oh, cool. It was just a really wow. good day all the way around. 
And then years later, going through my photos of that day, uh, you know, looking at it going to be right. And then I did some more research. And of course, it, it ended up being that the guy that was taking us around and was the art director was James Cameron. Oh, wow. wow. I had no idea. And oh, so man. it was like things where James Cameron was the director and then he became more and more engrossed in the production, kind of taking it over. Alexia Terror with the space suits, the way it shot and the special effects, that it was basically his proving ground that got him the job to shoot aliens. And if you look at aliens and compare it to Galaxy of Terror, it's like one is a low budget version of the other one. It's it's right. really, yeah. Yeah, really yeah. compelling. Yeah, this is definitely a, a, one of the first job. He had done a few different jobs for New World, but Galaxy of Terror is one where he really sort of uh, sort of launched himself and uh, and got a lot more responsibility on that movie. And I think from there he went on to Piranha 2, The Spawning. But, um, but yes, of right. course, eventually did Terminator and then did Aliens. And um, so that this was sort of like a one of his big breaks. But he had worked like on a couple of the different Corman ones, like Battle Beyond the Stars. And he had done a lot of the mm -hmm. sort of sci-fi stuff that he was doing in the Lumberyard. Um, and just giving tours. And to, giving tours, as it turns out. You know? <laughs> <laughs> he was truly doing it all. <laughs> well, that's what New World gave you the chance to do. You got to wear many hats. Got to find where's your niche. I would I have just ended up just being a tour guide. Just only a tour guide. That's where my career would have stopped. <laughs> I, I picture the set of Avatar 4, and he's talking to Sam Worthington, and he's like, going, so I'm giving this tour. And then I realize it's the kid from Little House on the Prairie. Do you believe it? Right. <laughs> you never know. You never uh, know. It's I saw him. I saw him in these dailies of Blazing Saddles. He was hilarious. <laughs> um. So did not to skip too far ahead, but um, uh, I have to say, you know, uh, we were talking about this a little bit off mic, but summer school is just one of my absolute favorites. I, 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 I'm pretty sure I saw that in the theater. I love that movie, but I didn't realize till a couple of years ago, there was actually like a sort of pre-summer school film um, called Prince of Bel-Air that you were in with yeah. Mark Harmon, uh, who is still rocking Aloha shirts and driving a convertible. Uh, Kirstie Alley's in it, Dean Cameron, you, uh, and uh, I, so I, 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 how did that come about? How did you get that? How did you get that role? That worked out. It, it was wonderful. First of all, like summer school, the, the whole, I lucked out so much in that period of my career with the, the projects I got to be a part of, because again, it started with um, Prince of Bel-Air, where Prince of Bel-Air was the story of this character named Robin Prince, played by Mark Harmon, who was a pool cleaner, who had, you know, he had a, a storied career in like beach volleyball, but then nothing ever came of it. And so he became a pool cleaner and he was just basically sleeping around with the women of Bel Air and he didn't really know where his life was going. And so Robert Vaughn, this rich yeah. guy. Yeah, mm -hmm. of, hires... uh, of Battle Beyond the Stars from New World and, yep. and, and um, also Black Moon Rising. <laughs> for a new excellent world excellent pulls yeah very good yeah and so he 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 uh hired mark Harmon, robin prince to take his son who's like this loser around with him basically to get him laid and to show him how to get women because it's the 80s and that's a movie possible 
plot. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and so I played, I played the nerd that he has to, you know, carry around. And by the end of the movie, you know, I'm, I'm in a three-way, not a joke, part of the script. Yeah. And like, I've done well by myself. Um, and, and so basically, and then he meets, he meets a girl and falls in love and becomes, you know, a, a more accomplished businessman and, and starts a real life and his arc is complete. And so in that movie, um, I auditioned for the role and I got the role based on the fact, you know, I, I actually went to the writers one day at lunch and I was looking for compliments and I said, you know, hey, why did I, why, why was I, why was I hired expecting to hear, oh, you were the best actor. And I go, you, you came in and you slouched on the couch so well. That, that was it. That was the answer. I'm like, okay, oh. great. God, the, so, the audition I, begins the minute you enter the room, doesn't it? It, it really does. And, you know, uh, with you know with this working actor school thing i do one of the one of the speeches i give is as a producer it literally does you walk in and and they already know if they're going to hire you or not yeah the the reading is more confirmation or yeah surprise than anything and so anyways i got the part of this character and they hired kirstie alley to play his love interest and then they found Don Swayze and Dean mm-hmm. Cameron to play his two assistants. Yeah. And I'm sure Don must have been in a couple of New World movies. Um, I'm not sure if then, he ever was. You know, I'm, not yeah, sure. I'm not sure if he was. He should have been. He should have, yeah. If if not, total lost opportunity. <laughs> Wasn't the, like Kin a New World movie? Uh, Pin was. But the Kin okay. was not, I don't I don't believe, no. Okay. Maybe it was um, a new so, world, a new world video. It might be that. Right. That's that's always a little. There's so that's a yeah, little. That's, bit more that's the dividing line where we yeah. haven't jumped quite that far. Uh, yeah, we're trying to stick with uh, theatrical releases. <laughs> we're well, sometimes. <laughs> but Try. there's a lot. So there's long, a lot there. Long story endless is um, Mark then gets the job to play Freddie Shoop in summer school. And it was all Mark. Mark just brought the band back together and he liked working with Kirsty. So he called her in. He he had me come in and read for the uh for the sleeping stripper. Right. And then they hired me for the uh the football player. Mm-hmm. And then Dean came in and auditioned for um Chainsaw. And at the time, Dean was doing uh Amy Heckerling was supposed to direct summer school at one point before Carl Reiner. Huh. Mm. And it was supposed to be a John Candy movie. And John oh, really? Candy, you know, sadly passed away. Uh, okay, I don't know. Bill Murray was Wait, no. I, Bill Murray was the uh, Bill Murray was the was the person that the writer, um, I believe Jeff Franklin Jeff. was trying. He was trying to write the movie for Bill Murray, but that's because it's Absolutely. the mid eight. It's the mid eighties, and so that's that's what you did if you wrote a comedy. Exactly. You, you know, um, you wrote it for Bill Murray. Um, but so he brought think, you in. I, and I he, think I'm wrong. I think that John Candy passed because I think John Candy was still alive. But he had just done, anyways, they, he had done summer rental or something. And so basically it ended up where uh, it was Carl Reiner. And so Amy Heckerling recommended Dean because uh, from another aspect, because Dean was doing Fast Times, the TV show, he was playing Spicoli. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. If you ever want to put a target on your head, you know, play Spicoli on TV. It's like, I thought it was the bravest thing he's ever done. Yeah, yeah. And he was really good at it. And so anyways, he came in, he auditioned and everybody got their parts. And so that's how we all ended up in summer school. Yeah. 
Um, that's yeah. And summer school is so great. Um, what was it like to work with Carl Reiner? A blast. The guy to say that he knows what he's doing is kind of like a joke because it's, he created, you know, he created the sitcom, mm -hmm. um, you know, I had, I had an audition eventually with Rob Reiner for a TV, not a TV, a movie that he was doing. And I said, you know, beside the fact that I was on a TV show called Jag, which ripped off your movie, a few good <laughs> you know, I got, I got to work with your dad and I just, I can't thank you enough. The Carl Reiner was a gentleman's gentleman. He was hysterical. He was fun. He was so smart. He would do these things to keep us engaged because we were a bunch of teenagers who were just looking for, you know, not trouble, but just like something to do. Easily he distracted. Play... Exactly. He yeah. would play charades with us while they were setting the sets and setting the lights. And he was such a good charades leader that it was very difficult to win. I mean, he basically <laughs> dominated for an entire summer. And, <laughs> and then, of course, he's Carl Reiner. Right. You know, he's he's one of the writers of your show of shows. Right. He is the other half of the 2000 year old man. Mm -hmm. He himself and I wrote, created about his own life, the Dick Van Dyke show. Right. Um, there's like his pedigree has a pedigree. In right. fact, yeah. Dean and I were on the beach. We were shooting the beach scenes and Dean and I were talking about some comedy friends of ours who were doing something at you know some club and you know how a person will walk up to a conversation in in mid conversation and they'll kind of listen sure and so carl did that he kind of comes over and he's listening to us talk about you know our comedy friends and he's like and there was a lull in the conversation and then carl joins the conversation and goes i remember me danny mel and neil we're working on this idea for a sketch. Oh God. <laughs> and Dean and I just literally pooped our pants because of course he's talking about right. Mel Brooks, Neil right. Simon, and Danny yeah. Simon and wow. him working on a sketch for uh, you know, your show of shows. Yeah. And oh my God. You don't there's only we won the conversation because we got to be in it it wasn't yeah, like right. you no, know, totally. there was anything totally. we could offer right. it's like yeah well my friend bob did this hysterical <laughs> down front you know it's just not the same yeah right and he's just trying to relate but his stories are just like have so much comedy history in them you know that he can't help right him, and that was the beauty know? of it he was talking about his friends right his right. friends yeah. like oh my god and of course you know the the magic relationship he and mel had where they would see each other for yeah every every, every night, night for yeah dinner. Mm -hmm. yeah until he recently passed it's just it's such a shame he was still even hilarious on twitter the guy just you know never stopped uh being uh, just so funny I have another question that I, I have to ask about summer school, though, which is, do you still have that half shirt that you wore? I think. <laughs> you mean my headband now? <laughs> <laughs> However you wear it doesn't matter. The question is, do you still have it? Yeah. Sadly, no. There was all wardrobe. And uh. I think the only wardrobe I've ever absconded with was... Uh, uh, a letterman's jacket from uh heather from heathers is okay uh, that's, yeah that's a good choice that's a good choice yeah. um 
did it did it did you finally uh ask courtney thorne smith out on a date or how did that go down how do you know about that <laughs> it's on the dvd and also mark Harmon mentions it on the commentary <laughs> oh wow yeah i really would i really didn't hide my my des my desire to date courtney at all um <laughs> but she but she fell in love with some lighting dude who will remain nameless because i never bothered to learn his name ever again yeah well why would you yeah forget it right marco <laughs> um so who knows hope uh, she hope she had a career after this movie i don't know <laughs> <laughs> you know it's, it's a lost opportunity there was a lost opportunity there um <laughs> um just to backtrack a little bit too back to uh prince of bel-air i meant to ask you'd also you got to do a couple scenes there with barbara crampton who was like a year removed from fraternity vacation for new world god Pictures. bless you barbara crampton and reanimator and like just an amazing career yeah um, she, yeah she'd just done both of those movies the year before so um so how was it like working with her yeah that was peak barbara crampton she's late i mean she has made a well, huge comeback in the last five huge, years yeah, exactly let's say she's not quite she's, she's wonderful and you know was, what was weird about that movie was that it was a tv movie for abc mm -hmm. and then they had ideas to put it out internationally as a, as a video and so there's a scene where she and another girl come downstairs as part of like this three-way that this my character was supposedly a part of and in the tv version they come down you know with the tops on and then in the other right. version they come down you know nude or you know top topless uh -huh. and i gotta tell you man for anyone who ever wonders it's so much easier to watch movies where girls are nude than to be <laughs> on set with them because there's nothing absolutely sexy about it or fun about it or it's weird awkward and you yeah i mean i there's a scene in heathers that you know it was maybe five words that you know i read it and it's on a call sheet and i didn't have any dialogue and i was fine i didn't think about it and i should have thought about it uh it was you know in the background ram rapes heather yeah. and on the day you know it's the middle of the night she's on her back in her underwear basically that's it you know mm -hmm. i'm in on top of her in my underwear and i'm you know <laughs> I, it's like i really didn't think this out and <laughs> you can't yeah. hear us because we're not mic'd it's just in the background when you know right when right veronica's walking up to uh to 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 um Christian Slater. yeah 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 and in the background you see it but in the background i'm just you know I've got my head behind hers. I'm going, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it, I, I'd have to think that it was at least better that you, that, that's Lizanne Falk, who you knew from Prince of Bel-Air. Yes, and that was, that was awesome. That was so helpful just because she knew, because uh, if you, if you didn't know me on any, any time before uh, you got to the set of Heather's, I wasn't, I'm not a method actor, but it's so much easier to be 90% the guy you are so that when the cameras go on, you're not really, I'm not really doing that much more acting. Right, right. Mm -hmm. So I was a dickhead when we were shooting Heather's because I was kind of like reveling in just the douchiness that Ram was. So if you didn't know me beforehand from Prince of Bel-Air, like she did, she might've been really, you know, concerned. Yeah, and did and did you like did did you? I heard that you maybe helped recommend her for Heather's. Is that true? I 
don't think so. I don't remember that. That um, just that just uh, you happened. Just one of those things where you guys uh, both happened to be cast in the same two same two similar projects. I guess I, I'm not sure about her. I made sure that Christian and Winona were hired. That right. was all. That was you. That was you. Yeah, that was that a good was call. Only. That was good smart. call by you, Patrick. Smart. <laughs> yeah. Smart. Yeah, yeah. That was yeah, good no, of you. Because Winona so happy was really on her way up. So really smart. The story I always heard was that it was uh, the real life Heather that was going to be one of the Heathers, but I just don't know which one. Um, I don't know which Heather she was supposed to be. Mm. Um, uh, who am I thinking of? Heather, she was in... Heather Graham. Heather Graham, thank you. Yeah, that her parents yeah. wouldn't let him do it because they read the script. And I get it. The reason I was in Heather's was because my brother, they wanted him to read for JD. And he read it and he goes, "This is, I'm not going to read this. I'm not going to do this. And I go, why? And he goes, it's, it's about teen suicide and it's not funny. And I, I read it and I just he just didn't get it. And not mm-hmm. he's not stupid, but at the time the movie being out there and again it was like 200 pages it was his version oh, of God. a kubrick movie yeah you got the giant version then wow yeah and so it was sort of like you know this sprawling everything bagel and i <laughs> freaking loved it oh. and i did everything i could to get an audition for it and i later found out that um that i had auditioned which i had no idea of this is like why Hollywood is so dumb. I had no idea that I had auditioned for the role of uh, Ram with other another actor. I, the, Lance Fenton was the guy that played Kurt. And then I had this other guy that I was reading with, but turned out to be Brad Pitt. But at the time, I didn't <laughs> know he was going to be Brad Pitt. It would have been nice right. if he had said, you know, hey, I'm going to be Brad Pitt. <laughs> I know. I, I would have remembered. I mean, you would have been, like, been like, that's a terrible name. You ought to think about yeah. changing that. You're never going to go anywhere with that name. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So when you, when you, okay, you get cast in Heathers. Did you, did you think it would turn into the movie that it became? It's a great question. And I'm going to be a real ram douche about it and say it's a great question because it was exactly what i i think everyone who read the script wanted it to be as special as it turned out to be but anytime you want something like that you can't make that happen Mm -hmm. it has Mm -hmm. to happen for so many reasons that Mm -hmm. are out of your control Mm -hmm. it's out of the director's control out of the writer's control out of the actor's control it's in the control of everyone working together to come up with something that's unique like heather's was i wanted it to be that movie and i was so happy when i saw it and realized that it was um and then so couldn't get over the fact that no one that it it bombed completely. It, it just was not. And know. it's so funny because now as I was in high school at the time that that movie came out and I, I recognize it bombed completely, but on video, it gained an incredible cult following. And by cult, I mean, my entire high school, it was the kind of movie that, when in my friend group, when we would find out that someone hadn't seen Heather's, whatever plans we had that night, they came to a halt. It would be like, hey, uh, <laughs> Carl's never seen Heather's. Okay, everybody, we're not going out tonight. We're going to watch Heather's right now. We're stopping everything and watching Heather's. It was that, it was so, it was that impactful in such a cultural moment, uh, at least at, in my friend group at my high school at the time. <clears throat> That's so exciting to hear. I really, I, I, 
it it felt like that when we were making it. I, I know it sounds stupid because it's, it hasn't really felt like that on any other show that I've done. Everyone kind of, you know, everyone is always happy that they have a job and that's always great. And you'll run into people that are really nice and that's really great. But there was something on the set about everyone kind of like going, oh man, did, did you get it? Do you have like there? Everyone loved the script. The script was so unique. They were, the, what they did with the wardrobe was so incredibly insane. Like the, the, I don't know how to describe it other than to say that, you know, she created a fashion movement mm-hmm, and right. it's, it's yeah. unique, unique. Mm-hmm. I mean, to itself still. Yeah. Um, and just all of the different things that I say, like, you know, that went into it, that just, uh, it was so really uh, wonderful to see it happen. And, you know, I think it was a $3 million movie, the most that I think new world had ever done, according to what I kept hearing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but still a three million dollar movie then was it it was not it still wasn't a lot of money right and right. you know no one was making money on it in, in in the sense of like you know it wasn't a payday it was something that they were excited to be doing because of how they were um excited by the script and the director the director i had never seen a director i think it was his he had done some student films he had yeah he got to have um USC, and, I think, right? He had done yeah, he had, a student he had film. A, a student film called Beaver Gets a Boner. Mm-hmm. And he was like a hot, young, like, oh, this guy's really talented. I've never seen a guy so calm and poised. And he was, I look back on it, man, he must have been in his mid-20s. I mean, it wasn't like he was <laughs> that old. And of course, now he's an amazing, he directs a ton of stuff. He's an amazing director. He was an amazing director then, but I just couldn't get over how how poised he was at that age. And yeah. to get all of the stock, to get all of the shots that he got, when you look at the movie, the way that it's lit, the way that it's composed and the storytelling that he does in, in it visually and just all the different ideas that they get across, you know, from it's obvious now, but that they, you know, that each Heather had a color and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it was taken throughout the whole movie that everyone had a design. Um, I, I, I can't stop saying good things about the movie. Yeah. And again, it, I feel like, and I think that most other people in the movie feel like it's, if they, if I was never in the movie, it's still in my top five movies of all time. And um, just a big, big fan. Yeah. I mean, to, to go back to what Mark was saying, like, did you guys see like, uh, like cast and crew screening or something and, and, and got excited about it before it was released? Did you guys like, is that when you saw it and thought, okay, this is, this is good. There was um, a period where I would go and visit the editing room to uh, watch them edit. And I, I, again, me wanting to be a filmmaker, I kind of finagled my way in and I saw stuff that I was really excited by, but I never saw the whole movie and it wasn't any, it was like one big premiere they had out in Westwood. And it was, the basically a cast and crew screening that was also a premiere but usually premieres they don't have enough free space to have the whole cast and crew but they did at this one because no one was coming to the premiere it was just sort of like i i think that i, I don't think it was advertised i don't think that you know there were there was a poster out yeah but it was just not really anything that anyone really was aware of yeah it was released in select cities and new world was falling apart money-wise as a company as a whole and so they wouldn't continue to pay advertising i think denise denovi tells a story where she like wrote a check to new world so they would like 
release an ad, you know, oh because God. they just, yeah, they just, they weren't spending any money on a lot of movies. Unfortunately, Heather being one of those as well. Um, but they just weren't. And, and so were, was any of that, uh, did you guys have any sense of that from new world? I mean, no, it's kind of hard when you're an actor working on a movie, it's, you don't really know much about, you know, the company that's making it, but um, was there any sense of that from that you, you heard about or any whisperings of the, the, what the company was going through at the time? Not, not when we were shooting it. And that's really when, you know, we had the most interaction with anybody from new world as a, as you know, as a, a film geek and as someone who loves, you know, the King of the bees, um, I was aware that at one point, I think he was already on the new Concord or something. That I yeah, he, he had sold he had movie. sold the company. Yeah, for sure. In yeah, and so, right. And when they sold it, and then they got this big influx of all that, you know, investor cash. It felt like a solid company when we did it, but when you know when it was released the way it was released, it just felt like no one really thought that it was. And and everybody knew that it was you know a, a roll of the dice anyways because of the story you were telling. Right. Um, right. And so it felt like, oh, I guess we, I guess no one's going to get it. And, you know, okay, well, on to the next. Huh. Well, in so many ways, it was ahead of its time. And, and when you think about the 80s and, you know, summer school being a great example of just sort of teen fun comedies. And and right, we were just talking when you were restarting you know, that, that uh, your computer that they touch on some, you know, realistic, sensitive issues that high schoolers deal with uh, every day, especially at that time. But, you know, we're coming off of like the John Hughes era of like, you know, th those kinds of teen comedies. And this was the first to kind of really bring in a darker point of view, something that was, you know, more of a black comedy than an in your face sort of fun summer, summer teen comedy kind of thing. Right. Um, and I, it, it's funny when you look at the nineties, this in many respects, Heather's paved the way for a lot for those types of movies to be made and for people to understand what a black comedy is versus it being just like a typical teen comedy and and how they both are comedies in their own right but just handled in a very different way i totally agree and again i'm i i'm not taking credit i'm just so thrilled that you know i'm i i'm a bit of a part of it but yeah, you look at, you know, Mean Girls or Jawbreaker or even Euphoria now mm -hmm. as, as mm -hmm. just descendants mm -hmm. for sure Absolutely. of, of cool. what was going on. And I love that, you know, in summer school, which I think is probably one of the best because John Hughes is by himself as far as like what he did. But as far as like genre comedy, 80s, teen comedy for your pg audience summer school was probably the pinnacle of the machine making and i think it's a great it's a great version of it and yeah, in our version yeah. of summer school we talked about you know hard-hitting things like you know literacy and dyslexia mm -hmm. and then in heathers they're talking about suicide it's like mm -hmm. there's just no comparison and you know they they literally went there and you know and later what would happen with uh columbine and then all of the other issues that come about from you know having these angsty teens express themselves in the most dramatic of ways at that time what jd and his plan was was so ludicrous that it was it was laughably stupid and that's part of the fun of it is that it's like well that's not gonna happen it, it never happens right. and so when you when you look at all of the things that it it took on yeah i think that you've got 
you've got the blueprint for a lot of things, including the idea of a real talking teens that, you know, his, his God, his dialogue in this movie was so perfect and so unique and so individual Indiv and, you know, and, and it's like, then, and I love mean girls and, you know, it's directed by his brother. Yeah. Mark, Mark waters. Yeah. Mark mm -hmm. waters. Sorry. Daniel waters. I'm not mentioning any names because I'm talking to my friends who know all the names. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's why we're here. That's why we're here. Well, this is yeah, why Ryan's and, here specifically. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> and, and Tina Fey and um, Amy Poehler who wrote mean girls. It's a, it's a brilliant script. Mm -hmm. And it's the same type of idea with, you know, fetch isn't going to happen. Try to stop trying to make fetch happen. Um, it's like, it, it's got similar pattern that, that Heather's had. And I don't think that it would have been as easily understood when you pitch a movie like that without a movie like Heather's. Right. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And, I, and it, it, go ahead, Mark. I was just going to ask, uh, just switching gears really quick. Uh, still with Heather's though. Were you aware of like the, the 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 change of ending for Heather's, or were were you even aware of the original ending, or were you surprised to see what the ending ended up being? No, I, I there was there was always talk on the set, and it was it was the, and again, it's like the 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 day after day working part of a set that's fun. Um, I kept hearing the wardrobe people bitching and moaning because they couldn't get an answer if we're going to do the fucking prom scene or not, because the prom scene, everyone <laughs> had to be in white and everyone had to have a white outfit because we were all going to, it was all going to go to heaven and you're all going to see everybody in heaven. And I was keeping tracks of that because it would mean another week of work for me. And so another <laughs> paycheck. Sure. And so everyone, and again, and that's the reason why it didn't happen is because it was just too expensive to get the whole cast together. That's my understanding. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. And then, they had both endings that um, of uh, the one ending that ended up in the movie. And then the other ending where it was just completely, you know, nihilistic where everyone dies. Um, <laughs> right. Where, where without, um, Winona just blows up the entire, she makes a speech and blows up the entire school with right. the bomb that JD had left over. And to my brother's, you know, to my brother's side, that's the script that we read. And so, you know, mm -hmm. he was like, no one, everyone dies. <laughs> yeah it's a little bleak especially after 200 odd pages it's a little bleak yeah and you got to remember when you're reading a script it's like heather 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 you're not seeing them you're trying to picture them in your head There's right not a performance right. there so it's like it was a lot to get through Mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. that's, why I, gave up, that's they... why I gave up reading a long time ago it's yeah. just easier yeah. to it's watch too much stuff. it's too much <laughs> all these books and words that's too much i mean what do they want from us um I, it's like it, steve martin said there's like a, it's a different word for everything <laughs> <laughs> um and now we are recording this because uh it's uh, basically the 33rd anniversary of heathers that was released on march 31st so um, have you been pleased all these years later about the, the reaction you have received like, uh, 33 years later? Oh yeah. I'm so happy. I'm so happy that people still like it, that it's still something that shocks people. I, I love the fact that, you know, teenagers will come up to me and kind of want to talk to me about, you know, Hey, I get it. Like, it's still something that they feel is theirs instead of mm -hmm. like this weird thing from another bygone time, you know, like some steampunk thing that just doesn't make any sense to anybody anymore, but it does. 
It's like something that you get and maybe somebody else doesn't get. Like, you know, you just get it. Right? And I think that right. it's it was really, I think just, you know, I've been kind of sitting back, just listening, just being totally, <laughs> you know, kind of hanging on every word. But I think having your own brother say, no way, I would never do this. But then you moving forward with it and and kind of seeing something he doesn't. I mean, I, I I'm not a pair of brothers. I have a younger brother. But when you have that sibling influence, you know, to say, I don't like this, I wouldn't do this. I don't, you know, I don't get it. And for you to go ahead and go, no, I get it. I see the, I see the bigger picture here and I see what they're getting at. I just think that's so brave and just so cool. And, you know, just Sometimes you know, I, I, you know, amazing that you did it. And, mm-hmm. and I, I always like Ram is the character that you love to hate too. Cause you're like, ah, oh, such a jerk, but damn those sparkly eyes God, there's something about him that i just like, I want to punch him in his face and then like kiss him on the lips like, <laughs> so I, I i think you know just you know from to, fo- total fangirl moment if i may uh if you'll indulge me patrick sure. you know i i always loved that element I, in, in all your work but in specifically you know in heathers that you play this essentially like terrible guy mean guy mm-hmm. but always with that little like sparkle in the eye of like oh, but he's not all bad right like, <laughs> like he might have had a paper route at one time or maybe he did a couple years of boy scouts you know it's like i i love that kind of you know genuineness and just kind of you know realness that you that you bring to to an otherwise unlikable character there's uh you know when when uh young actors talk uh when i talk to dean cameron about summer school he says that, you know, as an actor, sometimes what you'll do is you'll have another character or a, a character that can be like your talisman, your, your guide. And he said that for Chainsaw, um, I'm sorry, not for Chainsaw, for uh, um, Ski School. Yeah, mm-hmm. okay. Bugs Bunny was his, his spirit animal, basically. <laughs> right. Right. Yes. That makes sense. That makes and sense. And mine for Heathers was Animal from the Muppets. Because oh. I heard that, that, that oh, Frank yeah. Oz described him as about two things, sex and, and, and music. And that was it. Mm-hmm. And that he, you know, it's like to hear, you know, Frank Oz talk about how he created a character. I thought, oh, yeah. So, so Ram to me was, I never thought about him as a bad guy. I just thought about him as the dumbest guy that can physically operate his body. and and pretty much that's what he did he went from eating you know it's like i made sure that like on on our on our stuff at the cafeteria i had like a thousand milks um, i I just he ate a lot he wanted to have sex he wanted to play football and he wanted to eat a lot and he wanted to have sex and he wanted to play football (laughs) that was pretty much it <laughs> yeah. Speaking of uh, those scenes, it's uncomfortable when you're with uh, with with a naked lady in a scene. How was it for you getting in your skivvies there for your for your big death scene? Dude, it was weird on like so many levels. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. First of all, first of all, I get the movie, and as a young actor, you're like, okay, I know I've got to be nude or you know basically down to my underwear, 
I'm going to be in the best shape of my life, which I, I eventually ended up getting into. And literally the, the, the picture on screen is the, the five seconds that I was in that shape. The moment after we shot that, I went to the craft service table and it's, it's never looked the same since. Um, but I was working out um, two a days and I was doing as much as I could. And then the first day, the first day of shooting was out in Malibu um, in the forests over in the mountains of Santa Monica. Uh, it'll come it'll back. Okay. It's going to come back. I, I believe in it. This is the magic of editing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, hello, hello, hello. Right. Yes, yes, right. there you we'll are. Back. You're saying uh, you're in Santa Monica? Sorry, my life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yes. Oh, it's, a beautiful, it's a beautiful story. It's a beautiful story. <laughs> what a rich tapestry you told. Oh, my gosh. So uh, many great voices. Um, <laughs> voice work. Um, where, where did we leave off? You were you saying you were in the mountains of Malibu? or the, Yeah, you yeah. went out to Malibu. Yeah. So the first day, the first shot was the 360 shot of where we get shot dead. So that I'm, I'm stripped down to my underwear and socks and, and they did the walk up and the stripping afterwards. So the very first shot is me shot in the neck. And so I was in my underwear. I had Christian or Winona yet the camera in the middle really couldn't go to each other personally behind the tree with a blood pee just aiming for my neck so that I would fall back and you know and get shot in the neck so there were so many technical things happening it was just really bizarre and then for the rest of the day I'm in my underwear and Winona's there and Winona's 15 she's just a mm -hmm. kid and you know and, and there's this there's this shot where you know JD's run um, Kurt all up and down and he's running her back, running him back into the campsite and he goes okay here he comes shooting and she shoots him right and so she's got like this little Dillinger type of gun and no one had thought about it I certainly didn't but she's shooting over my body and so she shoots at Kurt and even though the shells are are, are not filled with any and there are shells and so the shells fell off you know were ejected from the gun and landed on my chest and started burning my skin <laughs> Ooh, oh gosh. yeah and i'm on camera and of course a good actor knows you can't you know you can't wreck the scene so you know as i'm smelling the skin burn you know we mm. do the scene and it's like oh my god so it was it was a truly bizarre first day so after that everything else was was cake and of course then of course you know i met christian who at the time the big thing was uh was it name of the rose in the name of the rose yeah in the name of the rose right where mm -hmm. it was like him and sean connery, sean connery yeah and that scene with that girl how did he goes yeah i know um so it was a really that was the the topic then and then winona had just done a tim burton movie that hadn't come out yet beetlejuice beetlejuice yeah and i remember being in the makeup trailer with winona and uh denise denovi and Denise Denovi, God bless her. She was, I, I don't know. I don't think it's her first movie, but she hadn't worked with um, uh, Tim Burton yet. And she was working, you know, we were doing the movie and we were just sitting there and Winona still hadn't turned 16. 
And so there's a certain rule that you can only work a certain number of hours when you're 16, but then, or when you're 15, but then when you're 16, you, they got like another hour. So Denise Novi was literally counting it down. And I think it was the night that they were going to get another hour, like on the night of her birthday. And she was sitting there talking. And I just remember the conversation was when Ona was like, well, I don't know. You think it's a good movie? And she goes, are you kidding? It's it, Tim has made a great movie. It's going to be, you're going to be a big star. You're going to be a huge star. And she goes, yeah, but they want me to do this TV show. And she goes, don't do the TV show. Never do TV. Don't do TV. You're going to be a big star. She goes, really? And she was talking about Beetlejuice and she, she called it. I mean, Denise, wow. right then. And it's just interesting, you know, when you, when I look back and, and hear those conversations that she was absolutely right. And, you know, and just, it was, it was so new in her career that she really, you know, Winona didn't know what you know what the next move was going to be because the movie hadn't come out this movie hadn't come out although yeah. she absolutely like myself loves the script and wanted to mm -hmm. do the movie more than mm -hmm. anything yeah. yeah yeah she fought for the for the role uh but it's weird that denise didn't say anything about how brad pitt was going to be huge like she <laughs> just go. left that out like that whole thing you know we got a really question brad about hiding the fact that he was going to be a huge star from That's everyone so lame like just <laughs> come on man you're brad pitt for god's sakes why hide it <laughs> um oh man I don't know. i'm sorry i don't know if you know this but the the deal was is that brad pitt was an extra he was an extra in less than zero and you can see him in a couple of scenes oh really yeah i yeah. did not know that and so what he did was he was an extra. And by the time he was auditioning for Heather's, he was on like Falcon's Crest or Dallas or one of those soap opera shows. But he tells the story that, you know, he, he worked as an extra to understand the set. And then everywhere I went during that period of time, all I heard from the extras was like, you know, Brad Pitt was an extra. Like, like that, <laughs> that gave, that gave the extras the, right. the idea of, you know, the, the, I'm just one step away from being the next Brad Pitt, which, you know, God bless him. Maybe, maybe, but that was like the big thing was that, right. everyone knew that Brad Pitt was an extra. Like that's, like, that's the path. Right. <laughs> if I keep being an extra, it could be Brad Pitt. You know, that's just how it works. It's the worst <laughs> name for any job on the set. Anyways, extra, like, no, right. we've got enough. You're an extra just right. in case. It's like, no, yeah. it doesn't, it's atmosphere. It's another part of the show, but. It's just <laughs> background talent, background there talent. That feels yeah, exactly feels nicer. I'll tell you, if there is a difference. People who know how to do background, it sounds horrible. You never see them. The people that don't know how, don't know how to do background, they wreck scene after scene and you gotta right. get rid of them right <laughs> yeah. right yeah yeah that's the kind of your your job is to not be seen but to be there exactly. <laughs> that's an odd an odd job description <laughs> that is my job description but, yeah in but that's what i do that, yeah that's what i do in my yeah that's how i live my life <laughs> i am there ultimately but you would never know it um uh any other questions from heathers i just before i move forward with something else mark no, no. I, I mean, I could ask a lot more questions, but I know we want to also be uh, sensitive to time. So I, uh, please, Ryan, take us to the um, next, take this to the next, well, next station. You, you were talking about how you also wanted to write and, you know, how you had gone on this little tour, New World, and you were thinking about becoming a filmmaker. And you do eventually do write a movie. You wrote, you co-wrote National Lampoon's Last Resort um, with your ski school director, Damian Lee. Um, who also wrote the story for Reno on the Dock, which uh, New World released on video. Um, 
how did that pro project come together? And is, is that the first project where you started writing? How did that, how did that come together? And that was that the first uh, script that you started writing? It was, it was the first script that got produced. The first I'd been writing since I was a kid. I was on a TV movie with Peter Strauss called Young Joe, the Forgotten Kennedy. And um, uh, the Nancy Drew Hardy Boys mysteries were on TV back then. And so I was writing my version of it called The Would-Be Detective Solving a Crime in Las Vegas back when I was, I guess, 10. And so I've always wanted to do it. Um, I'd written maybe about eight screenplays beforehand. And we were up in... Uh, British Columbia shooting ski school with Dean and Stuart Fratkin and a bunch of great guys with Damian Lee. And it was really cold because it's in the snow and it was called, it, it was ski school at the time. Yeah. It ended up being ski school. Sorry. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I, I said to him, I said, why don't we just go to the Bahamas and do a movie called scuba school and, and get out of the snow. And like, you know, again, this is the go-go 80s and Menachem Golan and Globus and all. Mm -hmm. and he goes, mm -hmm. he looks at me and he goes, yes, yes, I can sell that. Write it and we'll make it. And so mm -hmm. that night I wrote up a pitch for Scuba School, which then became uh, the uh, last resort with the with the two Corys. Mm -hmm. And it was supposed to be a, 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 a you know, they had sold a trilogy. It was going to be Scuba School, Stunt School and Flight School. And had them all set up but then obviously it just <laughs> the first movie wasn't any good um, <laughs> but yeah so i i basically wrote the script damien you know got got a chance to put his name on it there with me but it was a really great experience to understand how um how difficult it is to to do exactly what i was so excited about with heathers you know it's like you have a picture in your head and the movie that got made was so not the picture that i had in my head um, and then later on, uh, I got a chance to write a movie with Dean Cameron called Hollywood Palms, which did come out like we had pictured it. And I think mm -hmm. that that's a much better representation of, mm -hmm. of, uh, you know, from the idea to, to the screen, exactly kind of like what we were thinking. Hmm. Now it, it was, was there uh, a reason you could pinpoint, uh, politically <laughs> that, you know, cause I, I know the movie is, the movie was directed last resort by Rafal Zelinsky who he, he directed Screwballs for New World Pictures. Um, but was, was there any reason why it didn't come together? Was it like money? Was it time? Was it- um, uh, Was like it the Corys? Was it, I mean- <laughs> <laughs> Basically, I, I saw Scuba School as a, a straight up 80s, 90s comedy that was more like in the, in the, in, in the, in the format of summer school that it was not edgy. It was just sort of the way it was. It was just a, a screwball comedy. And then I, I read that um, National Lampoon had just been sold and that they were giving, not giving, but you could you know buy the rights to their name and put it on your movie. And so I negotiated a deal with it to be National Lampoon Scuba School with the people that owned the, the naming rights. And then when that happened, they decided that they were going to make it like Animal House. And mm. so they got a writer from Animal House who was one of the guys that punched up Animal House and he punched it up. And basically they went through it and they just started putting in these kind of over the top gross jokes that I wouldn't think would be mm. a part of it. Right. Ah, okay. And then I don't know Rafal. I mean, I know him, but I don't know his history or anything. He, he felt to me like a very workman, like, 
guy that he was coming in to direct it and not really putting anything into it like a Michael Lehman. It wasn't, there was no labor of love here. It was oh. everyone, it was, it was a job for everybody. Okay. And so originally it was supposed to star me and then some other people. And then it ended up being a Corey movie. And then once it became a Corey movie, then the Corey's got into it and decided, you know, Corey Feldman, uh, you know, wanted to put his jokes in it. And then he has his guys. And so it became just a, a collaboration where, you know, collaboration, you know, with a gun to your head type of collaboration. It just wasn't right. really, it mm. wasn't a creative process. Right. And you also uh -huh. wrote a little bit when you're on JAG. It seemed you got accredited for one of the episodes when you're on JAG. So um, is that something that you are still doing? Like you're still writing and, and, and writing scripts and stuff like that? Is that still something that you're pursuing as well? Absolutely. I, it's one of the things I love doing. Uh, what's so great about writing is I, I get lost in the worlds and I can pretend and do all the things that I like to do on, on the set, but I can, I don't need to be on a set to do it. So I can do it here. And if, certainly during the pandemic, I got to write a lot and I was really enjoying that. It's still, oh, that's great. That's yeah. great. Um, now, listen, uh, we don't, we have talked to a few different actors, but I don't think we've talked to anyone that's ever been on Hollywood squares. Um, <laughs> we have not. Yeah, we this have is, not. I mean, so I would be remiss not to ask how that experience was. It was awesome. I mean, it's, I grew up watching the show and to be on the set, which is exactly what it looks like. It's this huge tic-tac-toe thing. And Whoopi Goldberg was the center square. And right? I have a crazy, stupid love for a movie called Soap Dish. And I brought her a laser <laughs> disc uh <-huh. laughs> and had her sign the laser disc. Oh, wow. It was nice. amazing. It was so, so much fun. And they do five <laughs> shows in a day. So you're uh -huh. there for a whole day, but then it's a whole week of shows. And, you know, they give you the written jokes. And, you know, I, I actually thought they were pretty good. So I stayed with the written jokes, but you know, you're, you're able to, you know, uh, improvise if you think you can come up with something better. Okay. Um, and it was just a bunch of fun. Wow. Uh, that's I, great. I got to think that's such a crazy experience. Where were you on uh, in the entirety of the, of the square of the tic-tac-toe board? I was so excited that we were seated next to Terry Gar that I have no idea where <laughs> I was. Can't blame you. Can't blame you there. Understandable. Right? Understandable. <laughs> Understandable. I mean, Terry Gar and and Whoopi Goldberg, and then I think Brad uh, uh, Pitt from Brad Pitt. No, he he wasn't a big star yet. <laughs> okay, right. He was in the um, background, dude. Right. He was, he, he was an extra. He was, yeah, an, he extra. was an extra on Hollywood Squares. <laughs> <laughs> uh, everybody loves Raymond, the brother, Brad, and I can't. Of course, yeah. he's a huge star. Yeah. And so it was very exciting. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. And it's kind of you know you talked a little bit about how much you've also continued to work with Dean Cameron. Like, there's a lot of like sort of that dovetailing. We continue to work with um friends that you know and stuff and it, it continues with mark Harmon. you continue even when you when you're working on jag because um ncis spawns out from that show um so it's kind of a nice little you know bit of uh, kismet there that you guys continue to you know work together i don't know if this is actually how it happened um, but I, I i like to think that what happened, I had had a conversation with Don Belisario during lunch one day. He was writing NCIS. They wanted a spinoff from JAG. Um, they had done a show called First Monday, which was about the Supreme Court, which was in the same JAG universe. But they wanted a spinoff. And so John, uh, Don and another writer had written NCIS. And 
he was at the he was at lunch one day and, and I go, what's going on, Don? He goes, ah, well, you know, I did that. I did well, and I go, what's what's the problem? And <laughs> and he says that the guy from Quantum Leap wasn't going to do the new show. He wanted him to be on, oh, okay, to be the lead in in NCIS. He goes, I got to find a new uh, Gibbs. And he goes, do you know anybody? And I go, well, you know, Mark Harmon's like a good guy like that. And he goes, Mark who? And I go, Mark Harmon. And he goes, who's that? And I go, he's on like, e, uh, not ER, but he's on uh, West Wing. He's playing with some guy. And, he, and he's kind of like a big star. He goes, ah, okay, okay. So like two weeks later, Don comes in and, and again, we're at lunch. And he goes, well, Patrick, I solved the problem. I go, what's going on? He goes, I found this guy named Mark Harmon. <laughs> he's gonna be a great guy named so of course mark Harmon's a huge star and i'm sure that i'm not the person that did it but that i did have these conversations and so i like to think that you know mark had gotten me all of those jobs and you know in some way some small way i kind of helped prod that to sure. happen because I mean, my god it's like he's so perfect for that role and he does such a good job and he's such a he he's a really nice he literally i literally have this experience when we were doing prince of bel-air I was, we were at the beach, we were playing, you know, volleyball for the scene and then the scene's over mm -hmm. and I go, oh, that's a cool shirt. And he literally took the shirt off his back and gave it to me. That's wow. like a wow. straight up Mark Harmon story. Huh. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I would just go ahead and say, and I mean, who am I, but I'm going to say you gave him NCIS. I'm just going to say. <laughs> that's, I saved his life. You. That was you. Life. You saved his life. <laughs> you did it. I'm going to yes. give you all that credit. Uh, <laughs> um this has been so great um i know that uh, just to be you know i know that time is a factor here so you've had such a long career you started out when you were a kid at three uh you were doing you know shakespeare with gilgood and so and it's <laughs> gone on until now and i just wonder what advice do you have for actors to have like you know in, in uh looking at have such a long career that's still ongoing like what advice would you have to act of uh, your fellow actors First of all, I, I, you gotta you gotta want to do it. it. It's it's difficult. As far the acting part, you can do all by yourself nowadays. With you know uh, um, YouTube, you can do whatever you want to do in your room, and no one's going to stop you. So if you enjoy it, great. Just go ahead and do it. Um, I have a school called WorkingActorsSchool.com, and the idea behind it was you know you don't have to live in Hollywood to train in Hollywood. It's all done on Zoom. Um, and what the idea behind it is there's a ton of great classes about acting where you delve into the, you know, the inner workings of every scene and how to create a character, but they are always based in the sanitary confines of a studio mm -hmm. space mm -hmm. where everything is safe and quiet and everything's good. But the reality is, is that, you know, I tell this story to my students on the first day of JAG, I'd gotten the part and the part, basically the first line is, ma'am, sir, just follow my six and, you know, I'll take you to your quarters. And then we got to the set and it was on the, an active flight deck and they started these jets before I started my line. And when they power up the jets, it, the, it was so overwhelmingly insanely loud that i forgot my name i forgot my lines i forgot everything wow. I, couldn't, I couldn't think of anything and i mean that's a crazy example but the idea is is that the world of working on a set and yeah. the realities of a working actor are so different than what a lot of people are taught so the idea of workingactorschool.com is to give you the experience of someone who's been there as a kid um, as a teen as an adult who has had all the different 
areas. Um, I've experienced all these different areas. With the idea behind it, it's a practical and fun way to understand how to, you know, on the day after they've spent three hours lighting, you've got 20 minutes to do a scene with an actor who didn't learn their lines, a director who is drunk, and, you know, some other problem that you don't know about with the, with the blocking, and you've still got to deliver your performance. Mm, wow. Um, and so those man, last resort things. was tough. That was tough. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So um, I would say, you know, to, to any young actors out there, I would say brazenly, you know, check out workingactorschool.com. Yeah. But the the basic idea is you gotta wanna do it, you gotta have fun doing it, and you gotta realize that you know the one major best acting lesson I ever had was the first day I was a producer. And I'm in a casting session as the person who's hiring the actors. I couldn't get over the fact that as soon as an actor walked in, I was making judgments based on that's not what I, I don't want that. I don't want, I, I'm, that's not who, I, who I'm thinking of. And it had nothing to do with their talent, had nothing to do with anything other than my own idea of what it is that I wanted. And so with that amount of luggage taken off of me as an actor, it freed me up to realize that when I walk into a room, I don't really have any control over it. So as long as I don't have any control, might as well have fun. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Great that's, advice. Mm-hmm. That's a really great, great that's advice. A, yeah, that, that is, that's, that's terrific. Mm-hmm. That, uh, th- thank you so much, Patrick. This has been such a great conversation. Uh, we could talk all night, quite frankly, but um, um, <laughs> same here. Uh, <laughs> I, I can't believe how many people's lives you sh- you saved and it's, how many careers you started. I'm just so. a man. <laughs> it's an incredible career of roles, of life-saving moments. <laughs> of, oh, thank you yeah, so, of, so much. Though, of of gifting Mark Harmon NCIS. You know, yes, it's been an yeah. amazing career. But yes, thank you so much for, for, for joining us. I'm going to just throw on our 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 video thank you so much for this and can to close out do you want to tell people where they can follow you and what you what you have going on next i know you are in a in a series for all mankind that's coming up do you have other things coming up that you want to talk about there's another show called the offer which is on paramount plus about the making of the godfather um Hmm. which i was again one of those things where i was excited to watch and then i got an audition and i ended up being in it which was really wow really great um and i'm looking forward to that uh the where you can hit me up is at uh, workingactorschool at gmail.com workingactorschool.com and basically uh, i'm on twitter and i'm on facebook i post a lot of stuff there but uh yeah and then just and you you just joined instagram that's right the, today mm-hmm. i just joined instagram yeah and exciting a, new development i know it's this really cool app that you're able to share pictures <laughs> with I, this is incredible this is you're know, saving you're I saving my off. digital life right I now i hope it takes <laughs> off like brad pitt's career <laughs> boy uh, that kid man when he hits his stride just uh, imagine I just, I it's going to be amazing. I can't wait to see it. Uh, but thank you so much. This is so, so awesome. We're such big fans and uh, just, you know, wish you all the best. And uh, thank you so much for talking with us. Same here, guys. And again, I really do appreciate so much your a podcast about New World. I've got to love you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Patrick. Thank you. Yes. Thank you so okay. much. We appreciate you, Patrick. And that's our talk with Patrick Liberto. 
What an incredible guy. Told you. Told you, listener. Yeah. Sparks we, were flying. Sparks I told you. flew. You felt it. Yeah. You, and you know what? I felt like, and I know you were there, listener. We felt you. You were there, but we saw you, but we didn't see you. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like a good extra. You were there. That's right. Mm-hmm. But, but I have we had so much minestrone soup and breadsticks. I'm so <laughs> full of it. So full. Like you really, I couldn't believe you went for a fourth bowl, Mark. That's, I, inc- you know, once you start, once you pop, you can't stop. That's how I look at it. You know what? Amazing that we went to Olive Garden, but then we all also brought our own laptops and then recorded this via Zoom. Mm-hmm. The wait staff was not happy yeah, with us, they but were it all, was like, worth it. They were like, are you sure you don't want to all sit at the same table? We were like, no, we will all be at separate tables, but, but the same bill, same please. Bill. Same bill. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know that that screwed her up, but I feel And actually like... just one order of bottomless breadsticks that we're all going to share. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> please take it from table to uh, table so we mm. can all <laughs> enjoy a stick or Those two. Those three servers were pretty upset. Admittedly, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. you know, they're like, okay, well, you're sitting in different sections, but I guess we'll just all combine. But and don't they kept worry, by going like, aren't you from ski school? We're like, hey, we're recording right now. Yes, Can please. You leave us? Yeah, please. let let it go I'm for. Working. Yeah, we're working. We're doing something here. Let it go for right now. Mm-hmm. Okay, but anyway, we're so grateful for Patrick to talk with us. He was just tremendous. Uh, we could have t- honestly could have talked to him forever. Yeah. I could have talked for no- honestly another two hours. Yeah, uh, yeah, for sure, easily. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But I mean, you know, and we should have. We just should have. Yeah. One of these days, we're just gonna do that. We're we should have done a bottomless. We're just gonna keep bottomless, bottomless interview, bottomless conversation. We, uh, yeah. just, we, we say that with every interview, and we I think we need to test test the patience yeah, of at, our interviewees yeah, at some to, point to where they're like, guys, can we wrap this up? I know, yeah. but it feels so like... Because here's the thing. We won't have to test it because Ryan could do it. Mm. I will inevitably mm. fall asleep and it won't mm. be out of disinterest. It'll nope. just be out nope. of... It'll just be, you know, you know. undiagnosed exhaustion. But, Ryan just you know. turns it into a filibuster and just mm-hmm. keeps on going. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, I, I, you know, Mark Mark knows. We watched Mr. Smith Goes to Washington a lot as kids because <laughs> it was one of the VHSs we had. Mm-hmm. And so I saw that. I saw that filibuster and I was like, that's an idea I can get behind. Talking for a, a full day straight, I'll give. I could do it. I could do it. I could do it even longer. I think like Jimmy Stewart kind of, kind of wussed out. On yeah, that he wussed out on that one. He couldn't quite, <laughs> couldn't quite manage it all. <laughs> I could go a lot longer than that guy. Just keep the water coming, and I could stay up there for a long time. And a couple monkey shoulders just to kind of give just you that a little cup, bump just a little bit, just to kind of you know just loosen up the joints. <laughs> oh God. Oh. <laughs> anyway, Patrick, thank anyway, you Patrick, from the bottom yes. of our hearts. Such uh, a treat speaking with you. Um, what a great guy. What a great movie. What a great actor. Mm-hmm. And check out workingactorschool.com uh, for if you are interested in learning how to act from Patrick. I, can, I, I, I can't think of anyone better. I yeah. mean, the guy has like been real working. world acting. Someone who's yeah. really going to be able to show you how it, like what it's like to work on a set. The guy has done it all and has worked his entire life. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. just so much uh, knowledge and so much experience. Like the guy, it's, you know, very, very fortunate we got to talk to him. So um, so thank you for listening to this bonus episode. We hope you enjoyed it. Give us a five-star review if you get a chance. If not, join us for the next New World Pictures podcast episode, and we'll see you then. Bye, everybody. <laughs>